Well, good morning. It's wonderful to see you all, and, and uh, even more wonderful to be here. It's a joy to our heart. Uh, I came to faith in Bear Valley Church in 1998, and... Uh, God radically transformed my life. See, I was, I grew up as one of those Christianized pagans, you know, the guys that uh, talk a good game but don't live it. You see, there's, there's, a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of times that we, we take on Christian clothes, uh, but we don't transform our hearts. Uh, we get used to attending churches that make us feel most comfortable, uh, rather than being uncomfortable with our sinful state and laying it down for the sake of Jesus. And here at Bear Valley, hearing uh, the gospel preached and hearing the word of God preached, Lord, really changed our lives. And uh, I left aerospace in 2002 uh, to go into ministry uh, and uh, with Slava Gospel Association. So I spend about a third of uh, my life in other countries. Christy goes once a year in the countries of the former Soviet Union, Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, down through Central Asia, and then the Caucasus nations bordering on Iran. And that's the other part of our life. And then when we get home, I pastor a small church that we planted uh, eight and a half years ago, eight years ago. And it is a joy uh, to be serving. But I, um, I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. Uh, what I want to do is I, I, wa- I want to walk through the Word of God with you. Uh, I'm actually going a slightly, di- slightly different direction in the beginning uh, than I did during the first service. And uh, bear with me. Uh, a lot of times there is, um, we, we define ourselves by uh, what church we attend and rather than be in the church. Uh, we define ourselves as Christian because there are certain do's and don'ts and practices that we have. Uh, we say, oh, we uh, go to this building or we go to that building. But very seldom do we talk about, oh, I've been, I've been transformed by the grace of God. Uh, and our identity is in Christ, not where we attend and, and what we are. And there's a difference between who we are and, and um, our, who, who, um, how we perceive ourselves and then the things that we do around us. There was a passage, and I'll just read it to you. Uh, it's in 1 Corinthians 4. Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church. And, and, and people are associating themselves with other people. Uh, I'm of Paul, I'm of, of, of Apollos, and um, I'm of Cephas. And, and the people were following after him, and those three men alone are completely different. Uh, Paul's known for his oratory skills, and Paul known for his, uh, uh, his uh, quest uh, uh, to, to bring the gospel to the, uh, to the Gentiles. And then Peter, of course, for his work uh, among the Jews and how he often held to Jewish practices to his undoing. And so we identify ourselves differently. But here, here in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, verse 1, Paul, uh, this is how it reads. This is how one should, excuse me, uh, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And when we see the word servants of Christ, uh, we draw different pictures. Uh, but in the Greek, there's actually three different words. There's a word, one word is called diakonos. And this is where you get the word deacon and someone who serves and the, the idea of being a servant. Then there's another word that's in there, which is uh, doulos. And doulos is uh, often uh, translated as slave or servant, probably most properly as slave. And then there's a third word called huperates. And huperates is this word uh, that means under rower, someone who's on the bottom deck of the ship. And if you were in a 
Greek or a Roman battleship, and you were the lowest of the rowers, you were underneath all humanity. When the ship went down, you went down. You were chained. Uh, you were the least of the least, the lowest of the low. And Paul says, this is how I should, we should, one should regard us as huparates of Christ, or slaves of Christ. There's a gentleman I work with uh, over in Almaty. He was a former Russian special forces, and he still boxes, and he's now the president of the Bible Institute there, and he runs between classes. And then he runs up to me if I've got a suitcase or something, and he says, please let me carry it. And I said, no, you're making me feel old. And, and I said, no, he says, no, no, you don't understand. I'm a slave of Jesus. And see, when we, when we think of being a, a slave of Jesus, we, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a question of what we do. But what he was talking about is a question of who we are. See, slaves were often those people who had lost all of their rights, and they were owned by another. And very often throughout the New Testament, we see this, this picture of slavery where, where one's identity is bound to another, and, and they know that their heart is only set apart to serve the one that owns them. And this is kind of an odious thought to us in America, this idea of being owned by someone else. We're individuals, we have our rights, and, and we really buck against the depth of the word that is being used there, but in that culture, it was very clear. So I ask you to uh, now turn in your Bibles to the book of Hosea. Now that I wanted to give you the background of what it meant to be a slave of Jesus, I wanna talk about that just a bit. You see, the book of Hosea is one of those passages that you, you won't see in too many Sunday school classes. Uh, the, most of the kids are out here, so we can talk about Hosea. But it's something that we ought to all learn from. You see, uh, God uh, revealed himself in a most powerful way, in a way that really lines up with the music that we were singing this morning. Great is thy faithfulness, and great is the mercies of God over and over and over. So let me read passage, the passage here in, in verse 2. When the Lord, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. You know, I, when, I, when I first read that, I, I couldn't imagine uh, what what Hosea was thinking. I am uh, a man of distinction. I am a righteous man. I am a holy man. Therefore, Lord, why not would you not pick out a wife for me that, that, that matches um, my standing and, and, and the grandeur of my righteousness before you? You as parents, if you were picking out, or, or future parents, if you were picking out a spouse uh, for your child, would you go and look for someone who would be the most unfaithful? Would you go out and look for someone who would bring the most shame upon your family? Would you look for the person that is most difficult, most forgotten, and, and the one in which the world is cast off? Of course not. You would want the best person you could find. Sometimes you kind of wonder what Jesus was thinking when he gathered together the 12 apostles. Why didn't he find the 12 best guys? Instead, he found a, a bunch of guys that really didn't know a whole lot, and they probably didn't get along well. And, and here we see God looking out at Hosea and, and says, go take Gomer. And, and, you, and, and you could just imagine what Hosea was thinking. And then you go on into uh, chapter 3. And you see Gomer lived up to her 
her, her uh, reputation. She was unfaithful to Hosea. She lived a, a wayward life. She gave herself to other men. She had destroyed her life and had really been cast off and found herself in a situation where she basically had no hope. And the Lord said to me there in verse 1, Go again, go again, and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress even, and, and there we see that noun, adulteress, that describes who she is. We want to be called by different names, but that's not the name that you want to be known by. In other words, your heart's given to another. And even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And, 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 and we see this picture of, we see this picture of, of Gomer, who was likely in the middle of town, and she was shackled to a slave post. And people were standing around bidding for Gomer. Her life had come down to nothing. She was defined as an adulteress, and, and she was a woman that no one wanted to be around. Your, your kids wouldn't want to be around her. She was a nobody, and, and she's tied up to this post. And there comes Hosea with all his priestly garb on, and he's walking through the town. And as he walks through the town, he w walks with his, his head up. And they would have said, how shameful. And Hosea is bearing on his body the shame of his wife's sin. And he walks through the town, he walks up, and he redeems his wife. And he pays the price to purchase her from the slave post of her own sin. And then he calls upon her to walk with him. When we see that, we just, just, it is so difficult for us to understand what Hosea must have been feeling. But very often we miss, that's who we are before God. You see, God looks upon our sick, sinful and wicked hearts. And he says, I will take you as my own children. I will give you a new name, and that new name is Christian. And you are one who I know will be unfaithful, and I know you're going to chase after different things, and I know your heart's going to be divided, and I know you're going to be uh, struggling, but I will give you my steadfast love. In Hebrew, is chesed. It is your sted, my steadfast love, and, and I will love you, and I will pour my mercy on you, and I will walk with you, even though I know your heart will be divided, even though I know there will be days in which you are faithless, I will be faithful. And he saw you before all of time began and he knew what you needed. He would have to give his very life that you would live. And he looked upon you and says, I've got that. And he stretched out his arms on the cross and he purchased you from the slave post of your sins to be slaves of Jesus. You see, he purchased them with the blood. As we just remembered in communion, he purchased you that you may have life, that you no longer will be shackled to the mastery of sin, but instead you will be slaves of righteousness. And God calls us to live this new life that we would walk in him. And so when we see this picture of Hosea, we see this picture of a faithful God. We see a picture of a faithful God who never gives up on us in 
even at times we give up on ourselves, and we see this but we also see a God that doesn't forget people I wanted to show you some people that the world has basically forgotten but God has not these ladies are homeless women in Tajikistan who live in a little building that used to be a guard shack at a small factory and we had to peel back the wire to get in where they are and they're holding babies that are not their own and in the shadows off to the left there are several drunk men who are the fathers of different children and these ladies hope upon hope that if they put up with these drunken abusive men that one day one of these men will be the ones that lead them out of the despair of their life and they keep hoping and, and uh, they are having children there and these two ladies are actually holding children that are not their own. The, the ladies that gave birth to these children had gone to Moscow and they turned to them and said, you can have our children, you can sell them if you can, if you can use the money to get extra food. You see, these people in a Muslim context are considered cursed of God and they are distant from God and people have, for the most part, forgotten them. But see, God didn't forget them. God raised up a church that goes out and ministers to these ladies. They go and bring them food, and these ladies are coming to the church. They have not gotten right with God, but they are the ones that, are set, that have not missed the gaze of God. And then there's another picture, Irina. Irina uh, had just had a destitute life. She was living in the sewers. She was hooked on heroin. She was a prostitute, and no one, no one cared for her. She had no hope. Her heart was broken in despair. But there was another man who himself was a drug addict who came to faith. He came to faith, and he started going to all the sewers where people were staying warm because of the snow above, because it's the only way they could stay warm. And he began sharing the gospel and he started finding a home and actually his grandmother passed away and left him with a house, but he lives on the street instead of this house because he allowed the people on the street to live in this house so that they could be warm. And he brought the gospel to Irina. In the eyes of the world, she is a gomer. She is the one the world has forgotten, but God calls out and has not forgotten her. And then in another picture, we see this lady in the northern part of Kazakhstan. And in the northern part of Kazakhstan, where there is no hope in these villages, no money, no jobs, we walked and knocked on the door, and she opened the door, and, and she realized there was an American there. And she didn't know what to do, and she kept trying to fix her hair and find a, a chair for me to sit on. She only had a stool in her house and no running water and no facilities. And she says, who am I? She said, she says, why are you here? She said, I'm a person who gets into fight, uh, fights. I have lived a terrible life, and I, I sometimes give my life to other men, and I live a, a, a life that should not draw any attention. Why is there someone at my door? And I said, I don't know, but I have come because God has sent me with this message that he has not forgotten you and that you can find this hope in Jesus. And we see in these lives over and over again that those who the world may have forgotten, God has not forgotten. In fact, what he does is he looks upon our humble estate and he purchases us away from the slave posts of our own sins, that we can be made new in his son. So I ask you now to turn 
to Luke chapter 15. And we'll quickly go through Luke chapter 15. And it's the parable of the lost sheep. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. In the prior verses, Jesus is interacting with scribes and Pharisees. And of course, the scribes and the Pharisees are the ones that the world sees as, as those who are most holy and most righteous. And, and in theory, most close to God. They're the ones that understand the religious practices of the day. On the outside, they were the ones that got the greetings in the streets. People would see them, and they would be people of honor. They are the ones that seem to live the most righteous life. Jesus noted, actually, in, in Luke 14, verse 7, just prior to that, he began to tell, tell a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose places of honor. You see, the ones that were the religious experts of the day were the ones that were constantly giving themselves self-recognition and touting their self-righteousness. This was in contrast to what the King of Kings and Lord and Lord was calling them to. Scan down to chapter 14, verse 27, where Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This idea of counting your own life as loss. In other words, your life is not your own. In other words, you are a slave of Jesus. Anyone who is not a slave of Jesus cannot follow after me and be my disciple. And then scan down to verse 33. Verse 33 says, So therefore, any of you who does not renounce, and the, the Greek word is to say goodbye or bye-bye, anyone who cannot say goodbye to all those expectations, uh, all those things that you have counted for yourself, cannot be my disciples. Why does Jesus say that? Jesus says that because we are idolaters. In fact, Paul Tripp refers to people like us as glory thieves. We like to take glory for ourselves rather than to give glory to God. We like to self-promote even in ministry and even in paths of what we call righteousness. We like to take glory for ourselves. We like to succeed in business and in other things, which is not succeeding in those things is not a problem in themselves. But when we take glory for ourselves, instead of giving the glory back to God, we, we shackle ourselves to a new God, a God of, of pride, a, a God of self-righteousness, a God of, of, of self-dependence, and, and it begins to rule our life. And these Pharisees and these scribes had turned themselves into their own gods. See, on the outside, everyone thought they were pretty righteous, but on the inside, they were selfish. Luke 15, 1 says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near. And, and you can see when tax collectors and sinners are referred to as nouns. This is that which defines their life. Tax collectors were the people that young Jewish kids were told to throw rocks at. Or, or if you saw a tax collector on the street, you would walk around this person and you would stay away from them. And sinners, it's even worse. You're talking about prostitutes and thieves and robbers. And it's those actions that define the way the person is. So these people, these broken people, were drawing near to hear him. In other words, they were coming to the feet of Jesus, and they were sitting with Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. They had a dialogue inside their heart. They were arguing with themselves, saying, look at the types of people this rabbi talks to. Doesn't he know he should not, as a good rabbi, do this? 
my paraphrase. This man receives sinners and eats with them. This, this idea of inviting them over for dinner, inviting them over for fellowship. And it's so easy for us. It is so easy for us to miss what God is doing. And we begin to give ourselves a pass and we look down on other people. But it is that looking down on us that God did to set us free. In that picture you see up there, there is a, a, a young orphan girl wearing pink. She is an orphan girl who had children and had a very miserable life. She had three children, and the one lady that is next to her is a friend who is holding her own baby. She had three kids, but only two of them are there. The reason there's only two of them there is that she allowed her 11-year-old daughter to be sold to sex traders who, who drug her off into the Middle East. She sold her for $2,000. She took the $2,000 to feed her children. You can see she lives in absolute poverty, so the $2,000 was spent quickly. I'm a father and a grandfather, and I cannot imagine the scene of her handing her 11-year-old daughter over to a couple of men who were taking her away. My heart was broken, and I didn't know how to respond to this lady. I kept looking upon her thinking, how, how could you let your daughter go? I wanted to scream at her and say, how could you let your daughter experience this? How could you even consider that your daughter could be just something to be bought for money? She's your sweet daughter. She loves you and counted on you and you let her go. And, and my heart was full of, full of criticism and judgment. And I felt like just pulling her aside and shaking her and saying, how could you do this? And then in the middle of this, I realized I'm no different. You see, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And for me to sit in paths of self-righteousness and begin to judge her for the wickedness of her heart means that somewhere along the line, I forget how wicked my heart is before God. And so I sat down next to her and started talking to her about the gospel. She's attending a church up in Hushan, which is in northern a province, a city and province in Tajikistan, where the people there literally just have no hope. And she's there at the church and she's hearing the gospel and her heart has not changed yet as far as I know. But I realized the only thing I had to offer her was the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, and to, and to pray for her. It is so easy for us to gather together, for birds of a feather, it's so easy for us to feel comfortable with the people that are much like us. And we fall into the Corinthian error of surrounding ourselves with people that are like us. When God set us apart for a purpose to have fellowship with the lost and hurting of this world, that they may hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in this situation, Jesus had a much different response. He responded to them with a parable. And so let's read on into this parable. So he told him this parable, what man of you having 100 sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. When he's come home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep, that which is lost. And you see this parable, anyone that has a hundred sheep is actually a pretty wealthy person. And you might be tempted to look at this parable and think, wow, he's got a hundred sheep, he's only lost one, one percent loss. There are a lot of people that have wayward children or, or wayward friends or wayward family members. And, and you're told constantly, well, they got themselves into it, they're going to get them out of that. 
Well, I want to caution you because a lot of times the way sheep act is they go out on their own for a while and they make a lot of noise trying to find their way home. And they're confused and no matter how much you, you think they should know their way home, not all sheep figure this out. And these sheeps after, sheep after a while stop making noise and they just sit down and they give up. In a sense, these sheep become depressed. And this is the world we live in for most people. The pain fills our hearts and, and tragedy and circumstances and, and difficult times can get us moved away from family. And, and, and that dissonance between all the hope and the joy that we had for this world and the situation of life that we find ourselves becomes so distant and so removed that our heart begins to break and it leads us astray and we, we can move into drugs, we can move into alcoholism, we can move into depression, we can move into abusive relationships, we can move into anger and all these things flow from a heart that is just given up and to give up means unbelief. We don't believe that things will ever get better and for this sheep, it thinks life won't get better. And this is what our good shepherd did. He looked upon that sheep that had given up all hope. And he didn't say, I'm at the end of the day and I'm tired and I can't do anymore and, and that's their problem. No, what the shepherd did was he left the 99 in open field and the 99 probably he had under shepherds with him if, because only the wealthy would have a flock that big. And he goes and he leaves them in open country and he goes searching for this sheep and he's, he's looking possibly for days for this sheep that has long since stopped making noise. And he finds this sheep. And he doesn't sit there and say, you bad sheep, don't ever do this again. Instead, he kneels down. You've got to figure that he's tired and he's worn out from his search. What he does instead is he rejoices. He grabs the sheep by his hooves, 75 pounds, smelly, stinky sheep, and puts it up on his shoulders. And he puts the sheep on his shoulders with a smile on his face and begins hiking back to the flock. You see, because the shepherd knows his sheep by name. Some of the shepherds come up with names like Fluffy and Big Nose and Black Ear and all these different names. But he, they, described, they have descriptive names. I, I, who knows what our names in heaven are. And, and the shepherd comes up with those names and he knows. And so when the shepherd sees just one that's away from the flock, he's got to go get that sheep. And he rejoices that he found that sheep. And that sheep isn't too much. And he walks all the way back to his flock. And he can't wait to tell his friends that which is lost has been found. And so when Jesus looks upon our hearts and our wayward estates and all the problems and challenges and brokenness in our lives. He says, I've got that and I am the great shepherd and I will go out to you and I will find you who the world has rejected. I will find you who the world has given up on. I will find you who cannot find your way to me and I will rescue you and I will put down my life that you would live. And this is our savior. And this is what he's done from Genesis 3.15 through the end of the Bible. He looks upon the wayward souls of this world and he says, I will stretch out my arms on the cross and I will say it is finished. And I will endure the shame 
of your sin and I will bear it upon my back and my shoulder and I will give you a new name and you will walk with me and I will be your God and you will be my family and I will give you the certainty of the streets of gold and I will give you hope and I will give you a future. This is our God. And what he calls us to do as followers of Jesus Christ is to do the same. And so you see this picture. If you want to just double check real quick, and I tell you what, in the interest of time, I am going to read this to you. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, verses 15 and 16. This is who our God is. Ezekiel 34, verses 15 and 16. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. Oh, this, is, this is who we worship today. This is why we had communion, because he didn't give up on us. And he is the one who calls us into a right relationship with him. It is he, if we look back, to Luke 15, Jesus goes on, and remember, he's talking to the self-righteous Pharisees, and he says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than the 99 righteous persons who have no need of repentance. You see, the joy in heaven is when that which is lost is found. We, we see this over and over in the New Testament, that Jesus seeks to save the lost, and he is not here to affirm which church you're going to or your own personal righteousness. He wants your heart. And he wants your heart holy. He wants you to be a slave of Jesus. And he wants to set you apart by his grace. And then secondly, he wants to set you on mission. You see, missions and missionaries are not a department of the church or a separate organization. Missions is the calling of the church. It is the calling of the redeemed. He has set you aside as his under-shepherds, as his under-shepherds and his witnesses for the sake of the gospel to reach out to a lost and hurting world. By God's grace, he has given Christy and I an opportunity to travel to other countries, but there's a lot of hurting people in Bear Valley. There's a lot of hurting people in Tehachapi. And I would say that as much as the, the, that I'm ready for you guys to have another short-term mission and travel with me because the world's completely different over there and I want to show it to you. I also want you to be able to be the church. I want you to be able to reach out to a lost and hurting world. This last picture. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't talk about that. I'll skip. This last picture is a beautiful picture. Uh, you would look upon him in his wheelchair and you would think that uh, there's no joy in his heart. He had just been baptized. When he was baptized, he, his legs are shriveled. And in the Muslim community, they didn't know what to do with him. They figured him to be cursed of God. So they threw him away. They threw him away into something called a sanatorium so that he could spend the rest of his days in this hospital for the misfit toys. And, and you see that they had given up on him and they had forced him to, uh, to be uh, following Islam. And the local church began sending people out to this sanatorium to to minister to people and he he came to faith and that day he was being baptized and there was a mosque that even some of the mosque had threatened to bomb the church 
and they opened up the doors of the church so all the members of the mosque could see him, a former Muslim man, being baptized. And they all stepped forward through the waters of baptism, and they made a bold statement. And he couldn't walk, so one of the, one of the deacons put their arms around him. Uh, he's a small guy, and they walked into the waters of baptism, and they dipped down in the water together. And he came out screaming and just said, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, and he's screaming. And there he is when he got baptized. And, and it was such a great, beautiful picture. And as I was there after the service, go back to the other picture, I noticed this young girl who was pushing him around in the wheelchair. And she was so happy. I mean, her face was just glowing. And I, I couldn't figure out. And I asked who she was. And they said, well, that's, that's his wife. Well, see, she's an orphan girl. And her family didn't know what to do with her, and they threw her away, and they just put her in the sanatorium with this guy. And he came to faith, and she came to faith, and they were both being baptized that day. And they were married, and she's actually expecting a child. And see, these two are, are castaways. But our Lord and Savior said, these are my lost sheep, and now they're found. And so he came up behind me, I didn't know it, and he, he was pulling on my shirt in the back, I thought it was some little kid, and I turned around, and it was him. And he said, Slava Bogu, which means glory to God. And he said, praise God. He just wanted me to know how happy he was and how much joy he had in his heart. And I could just see them, and they just couldn't stop smiling. And it was a joy of their life because what was lost is now found. That which had no, he and she that had no family now had a family. And their lives have been utterly transformed. And he can't wait to go back to that hospital and tell everyone else that was lost that they can be found. So this is why we do what we do. This is why we gather here to worship. We gather here to worship not because you picked a church that feels more like you. You've gathered here for worship, I pray, because you are slaves of Jesus, that he purchased you from the slave post of your sin and gave you a new name, and he's got some kind of interesting name in heaven, whatever that might be. But right now, the name is Christian and a little Christ. And he's giving you a new family and a new name, which means no matter where I am in the world, we are still connected at the heart. Christy and I love you guys, and, and we're connected, and we're family, and we'll walk the streets of gold in heaven together one day. But if you are lost today, and you don't know the Savior, he is calling to you, and he desires for you to be right with him. He doesn't want to leave you shackled to the sins that are robbing you of your life. He wants to set you free, that you would know him in a new, wonderful way. And that's why we're here with you, is because Jesus is worthy of our praise. And there is no other name given among men by which we are to be saved. Acts 4.12. And so let's pray and let's give glory to God. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your amazing grace. For you alone are worthy of praise. You alone, Father, have, have purchased us away from the mas being mastered by our sins. To be in surrender to you. You have taken hopelessness and made it hope. Uh, fulfilled. You have given us a name and a future that is far more than we ever deserved. You have not forgotten us. Father, move within our hearts and set us free to rejoice in you in this day. Father, continue to lead us to be your children. Continue to set us aside for your mission. Father, if there's anyone today that feels like they are shackled to their sins, Father, burst the bonds 
that bind them to their sin and turn them to you in this day. Father, may you be glorified and may today be a day of additional rejoicing. And for you, Lord, we give up our hearts and our lives through your Son and our Savior, and it's his name that we pray. Amen.